Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Matt Pence and Sam Stasekel are on the ground in Portland to cover the 2021 MLS Cup between the Portland Timbers and NYCFC. They did a live room on The Athletic on Friday where they previewed the matchups and answered some questions from subscribers and one question from me. I'm Alex Abnos and this is a special MLS Cup edition of Soccer Every Day. Matt, here we are, Portland, Oregon, MLS Cup 2021, the Timbers versus New York City FC on Saturday. Noon Pacific time, three Eastern time kickoff. Uh, you know, we've been walking around the city. You were at Timbers training. I was at NYCFC training. Match, decent amount of buzz around town. Not a ton, I don't think, but a decent amount of buzz around town. Um, but I'm curious, as we are sitting here now, less than 24 hours until kickoff, what is jumping off the page for you as the main storyline? Yeah, I think that the excitement, while it's not necessarily like, I wouldn't call it palpable, maybe not, but I do think that you can feel something building. Um, just even driving around today, my Uber driver um, on the way back from the Timbers facility, very anecdotal, I guess, but he was talking about how excited his son is a huge fan um, and how excited he is and how all the different people who he's been picking up kind of all day that, that that's just kind of been like the topic of conversation around town. I mean, we saw even yesterday, we were out at the stadium for some of the pre-match press conference stuff. And there were already people lining up around the building with their like camp stoves and like these impressively elaborate tents to kind of hang out for two days. Um, so I think for me, maybe in more of like an off the field sense that like the main storyline is just going to be like this huge day in Portland, this very famous soccer town kind of having really, I think uh, Nia's go to refer to it as like a holiday, uh, which actually feels about right. I think. Um, so to me, that's kind of the sense that I've been getting is this building towards, which would be. Yeah, I like that description, the holiday. Um, and to add some color to what you were saying about the Timbers Army folks, standing in line yesterday, Thursday, full 40, more than 48 hours before kickoff, there was a guy out there with a full standing desk. He was in like a big stadium jacket. He had this standing desk set up. He had a desktop computer set up out there. And I was like, man, this guy came prepared. He was probably here at like 5 a.m. this morning, <laughs> maybe the night before. Um, you ha- you saw a strange interaction with some, with some teens. You got to watch out for them. But we don't need to go into that. No, I will say that it's funny, this, because it has kind of been like a point of like Sounders, because I'm based up in Seattle and sort of like the Sounders fans is like the big snooty brother. I was like, oh, like all look at all these people who are lined up on a work day. Don't they have jobs? And so I thought it was pretty funny because it's like, yeah, I saw multiple laptops and it's like taking remote work to the next level, camping outside of a stadium three. 
Hey man, whatever you got to do. It's still weird pandemic times that we're living in. So, you know, if it can afford people that opportunity, so much the better. I think tomorrow, the main thing that I'm thinking about, it's not so much a tactical matchup. It's not so much a, oh, how is this midfield going to do against that, that midfield? Although there is some of that, right? We, we have a general idea of, I think, what's going to happen. NYCFC is probably going to control possession. The Timbers are going to sit back and look to hit and transition. And kind of who's going to be able to finish, I think, their chances is probably going to, I mean, this is shocking analysis. Whoever scores more goals is going to win. Uh, but I think both teams will be able to generate opportunities in their own way. Um, so I think really those, those number nines are going to be key. And, and NYCFC has, has the golden boot winner in Tati Castellanos. But getting beyond that, the, the main thing that I'm thinking about hanging in this match is really just what the atmosphere is going to be like. And that's been the talk around town when I'm talking to other reporters or people from the league or whatever. It's, oh, this atmosphere is going to be incredible. And you've been to games at Providence Park. I've been to games at Providence Park. That, to me, is the thing that I'm looking forward to the most. Um, it's obviously not going to be what it was in 2019 in Seattle or 2018 in Atlanta when you're playing in an NFL stadium and there's 70,000 people in the building. But they'll have 25,000. It's, you know, an old refurbished baseball stadium. I think it's the best stadium in MLS from, like, an aesthetics standpoint. And the place is going to be rocking. And I think it's going to be really unique and really cool and, like, a nice moment for the league and for American soccer to kind of get, get the title game into this building. Um, even though it sort of feels a little bit, I don't know, not, not lacking, that's not the right word. It doesn't feel quite as big as maybe a Seattle-Toronto matchup just because of kind of some of the big names we saw on those teams versus this this setup. Um, and for those of you in the audience, before Matt, before Matt goes off of what I just said, if you guys have a question for us or if you want to talk about anything, hop, try and hop on stage. We'll bring, we'll bring you on. Um, we want us to be collaborative and we want to hear from you. So feel free. Yeah, and, and going off what you were saying, I mean, I think that that's right to a certain extent in terms of, yeah, this on the field, this maybe isn't as much of a headlining matchup just because like this isn't even maybe the most complete or certainly this isn't the Timbers team that has played the best throughout the course of the season. Um, and NYCFC, while they're a very good team, I mean, they finished, how what, 20 points behind the Revs for first in the East, something like that. So it's maybe not a classic matchup of the Titans. Um, I will say, though, I I think that it was a similar feeling in Seattle, honestly, in 2019. I remember people who were in town for that game in the days leading up being like, oh, I don't know if I feel it in maybe the way I was expecting in terms of this being such a big soccer city and all that. And then you got to the day of and everything just really flipped and the streets were full and the crowd was amazing. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, that was really, really cool. Um, and so I, I would kind of expect a similar thing tomorrow. And I get that, like, we are still in, to some degree, the ravages of the pandemic and that it, this certainly isn't over. Like, as we talked about yesterday on our podcast, like, this is the new normal-ish, but it's not maybe, like, kind of gone back to exactly what it was before. Um, but I do think if you if you want to kind of go with the narrative of, a return to some level of normalcy after how weird 2020 was and after a final that was played entirely pretty much behind closed doors, doing it in the most atmospheric venue of, in the entire league is going to be really cool. No, it's not bad. And I actually do think it's going to be a good game. Like I, I sort of laid it out there. NYCFC, they should control possession. The Timbers will probably sit back and let's hit and transition. Um, but NYCFC plays good soccer and they have all year. They sort of had a weird season. Started pretty well, and they went through this real low. They didn't score a goal for basically five games. 
And then they had this match down in Atlanta. And I remember watching this game and I was texting with our colleague Felipe Cardenas during it because uh, he was watching down in Atlanta. And NYCFC came out and they were, they were in control and they gave up kind of a cheap early goal in the first half and it sort of derailed them. And I'm thinking to myself and I'm texting Felipe and I'm like, man, this is the same old NYCFC. It's a bunch of skill. It's a bunch of good ball players. It's a bunch of guys that could really like probably walk into most teams in MLS and start. Um, they have a good roster, but like, where is like that little extra kind of killer instinct? And this is something we've seen with NYCFC throughout the years, really good regular season team. I believe they have the most points in MLS of any team in the league since 2016, their second season in MLS. But playoffs, time and time again, they stumble. Time and time again. Barely win playoff games at all until this season. And that match, I'm like, it just feels like the same thing. They were sort of on the verge of not even qualifying for the postseason. And then Goody Torarensen hits a stunner of a free kick to tie it up in, at the death. And they kind of pulled themselves out. I think the next game they played against DC United, they won 6 nothing at home. And they haven't lost since. And here they are at MLS Cup, kind of a classic example of a team getting right or getting hot at the right time. I know the Timbers have, have some similarities on that front. But it's kind of a cool transformation from NYCFC standpoint to a team that I'm wondering, hey, is this team, do they have it? Do they have that little bit extra? Do they have that mentality? Do they have the mindset to be strong enough to survive this? And they've proven, I think unequivocally, here on this road in the playoffs, beating Atlanta at home, beating the Revs, you know, as you mentioned, the record setters who won by 20 points or whatever it was in the regular season, and then and then beating Philly um, in kind of an ugly game, but surviving it um, against a team that was very scrappy despite missing half of their starting lineup because of COVID protocols. So I think they've proven that. I think they've taken a real next step in their evolution as a club, and I think a win on Saturday, which I expect, you don't, but which I expect, um, would really level that up even further. Yeah, and I guess my only issue would be with them proving it unequivocally to a certain point. I will say, so I do, that Revs game was amazing. And I think that this postseason has been a little bit underwhelming altogether. But I think that was the game of the entire playoffs by far. To this Matt, point. how can you say that when you were at Seattle Real Salt Lake? A weirdly, like, non-classic, instant classic that <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. So I, that was a signature win to a certain extent, for sure. Like, there's no doubt about that. But I will say that I think that what they are facing on Saturday will be a little bit different in terms of just like how insane the atmosphere is and how intense the pressure is. And like, and I do think the Portland and the, this, the vibe around them today um, was just of this sort of like, these guys have all been there before. They have played multiple big games. Even a guy like Mies Goda, who was coming from the outside, like he was talking about how he has scored the winning goal in a Polish cup final before. And so he was like, I've, I've played in cup finals. I'm feeling pretty good. Don't worry about it. And that's just kind of like the overall vibe around the team. So while NYCFC has certainly showed something this playoffs, I think that what they're going to have to kind of dig into tomorrow is yeah, perhaps. But my thing is, like, in my opinion, NYCFC is just, like, a significantly better team than the Timbers, right? Like, if you look at, all right, X, XG does not mean everything by any means. Um, but if you look at those numbers, NYCFC actually led the league in expected goal difference this year. 
Um, second place was LAFC, who didn't qualify for the playoffs. Uh, guess where Portland was? Unmute yourself and guess. 17? 20th. Oof. Oof. Yeah, like their their company was like the Houston Dynamo and the Chicago Fire. You know, so like that's that's where they ranked in those metrics. And again, they don't mean everything. The Timbers happen to have good finishers who can outperform that. They also happen to have a very good goalkeeper in Steve Clark who can help them outperform that. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it, I think it just goes to show kind of like the, I don't want to say talent disparity, but I think NYCFC have uh, a much more coherent way of playing in possession than the Timbers do. Um, and we'll see if that comes to bear. I mean, the conditions are going to play a role in this one. You know, you were talking about it earlier when we were just kind of walking around town this morning. Matt's like telling me, he's like, yeah, it's going to be hurricane force winds tomorrow and uh, a full on thunderstorm. No, he wasn't saying that. But the conditions are going to play a role. You're a Pacific Northwesterner. How do you think that'll factor in? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's supposed to be 40 mile an hour wind gusts right about kickoff uh, with like sideways rain. It's going to be very unpleasant. Um, I don't know whether that like stylistically favors one team or the other, I suspect that it maybe slightly favors the Timbers and their desire to just kind of like slow it down a little bit and play on the break and, and kind of play that more. I don't know if you want to call it a simplistic style. I do think that what's interesting to me about what what's going to happen on the field tomorrow is I do think it's a significant stylistic mismatch to a degree. Like you said, I mean, there are two teams that like to play very differently. Um, I think NYCFC, like they have a much, higher ceiling in terms of their best game. I think that what you're saying about them being a more complete, I think you could even say better team almost unequivocally. I think that that's true. And I think they, they have had performances this year that are as good and as aesthetically pleasing as anybody in this league. Whereas the Timbers, they're pretty steady, man. I mean, they've had some lulls over the course of the year, but it's like, they just, whereas I think NYCFC has like a very high ceiling. I think the sound there, the Timbers have a very, high floor in terms of their them being steady and knowing what to expect and knowing who they are. So I think the NYCFC is really going to have to bring it tomorrow. I agree. I think it'll be a tough match. And I'm not saying NYCFC is going to blow them out or anything. I think it's kind of a coin toss game for me, honestly. Like, I wouldn't really be surprised by any outcome. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I do think the styles, you know, styles make fights, as the old cliche goes. I do. I think it'll make for a good game. Just the fact that they're so contrasting, um, I think it'll be good. And who knows, man? Maybe the Timbers surprise us. Maybe they keep a little bit more of the ball tomorrow. Um, I do want to talk about one thing that we talked about on allocation disorder last night. But for those who have not listened, uh, you spoke with Diego Valeri the other day. Diego Valeri is getting up there in years. Obviously, an MLS legend, a Timbers legend. He's done a ton for this club. But it kind of feels like it's the end of the road here. Um, what are the details of the conversation that you had with him? And what do you think? Is this is this his last game for Portland? Yeah, it's a little odd because it's like everyone has the – everyone carries themselves as if they know this is going to be the end while not confirming it. And Valeri wouldn't confirm anything either. Um, and so it's very much like everybody kind of – they're like, yeah, we figure this is it. Um, there are reports and rumors that, that he's kind of bound back for Argentina um, to maybe kind of have a swan song with Lanús, his original neighborhood club down there, um, to maybe kind of get another year or two out of his career. It certainly feels like – this is the end of the road in Portland. And I do think that the vibe is a little odd just because like, I do think that he has maybe regressed very quickly in a way that 
obviously he would have wanted it to be otherwise, but maybe not a lot of like epic athletes do at this point, these all time sort of like legendary players for, for certain teams. And so it just feels like he's just kind of still around and it's, it, it would on paper, it feels very storybook, right? It's like Mr. Timbers going to do it one more time in front of the home crowd. But it just seems like he's maybe diminished to the point that he just doesn't have that same magic and that same flair that he once did. And it's kind of the way that it goes in sports sometimes. I mean, whenever the great athletes kind of start to regress a little bit, it's just a little bit sad, no matter what. The- Not everyone is Tom Brady, I think is the lesson there. Uh, we have a guest on stage. Our, yeah. our boss, our, man, our, our managing editor, Alexander Abnos. Alex, are you there? Can you hear us? I am. Uh, I'm coming to you from a whole seven floors below That's right. <laughs> the hotel room you're at. Uh, I'm doing <laughs> this, first of all, to encourage other people to do what I'm doing and ask you questions, because this is actually like kind of a cool feature. I've been asking you questions <laughs> and talking to you <laughs> Alex, guys about Alex this. Alex is sitting here begging. No, no, but I also have a question. So, like, first of all, this is a cool feature, and people should use it, and there's, like, 70 of you in this room right now, so I'm sure that somebody else has <laughs> He's a He's like, please, please ask questions. But you guys have been going to these it. trainings. You, you guys have been going to these, like, pregame trainings, and I haven't, so I don't really know what's going on there. I'm curious what you have seen at these trainings or what – if there's anything you've learned or anything that's surprised you about either the Timbers or NYCFC. I'll, t- I'll go first. Um, we haven't seen much. You know, they only open 15 minutes. And the 15 minutes that we see are warm up yesterday and cool down today. So we're not getting tactical glimpses. Um, you know, I saw Tati Castellanos hit a penalty kick today. I would expect that he'll take one if it goes to a shootout tomorrow. Shocker. The league golden boot winner might take a PK if there's a shootout. So that's the, that's the insight I have to offer. You know, we, we've spoken to a lot of players uh, on both sides. And I would say that it sounds like it's a pretty similar vibe for both teams. Everyone's very relaxed. Everyone's confident. Everyone feels good. Everyone likes their chances. Everyone kind of like thinks like, you know, the NYCFC players keep getting asked, um, are they, are the Timbers the favorite because they're the home team? They have the obligation to come out and play. And they're like saying like, no, nah, not really. Like, I think both teams have a good chance. Like we feel confident, like blah, blah, blah. So I think, I think it's very calm in NYCFC camp. And Matt, from what we've discussed, I think it's the same with the Timbers, right? Yeah, same with the Timbers. I mean, yeah, you don't get a lot out of actually observing training typically this week. Uh, Coaches are typically pretty close to the vest, this close to a final. And so really our only gauge is that access with players to kind of gauge the mood of the room. But I'll even say even with that, I've been doing the thing. This is not counting last year's COVID year. This is my fifth final in a row. And I've even learned that sometimes that's deceiving to a certain extent. I remember going all the way back to 2016 when the Sounders played their first final in Toronto. They seemed like they were kind of running on fumes and just not feeling. They were just kind of this siege mentality. They were exhausted. Let's just play one more game. They end up pulling it off. The next year they came in loose and confident, like joking about going back to back. And Toronto seemed super tense and uptight about like not letting it happen on their home field again. And just based off that, you're like, oh, Probably the away team might have the advantage here. And then TSC played them off the field. Uh, so I think even mood-wise, there's probably only so much you can glean, which, uh, yeah, really giving a lot to the subscribers here. <laughs> um, that, but you're right, though. Like, this one, it, it feels a little bit different in that way because it feels like both teams are approaching from a very similar mindset. I think an NYCFC player said this. I can't remember which one. Um, and it's, again, a very obvious conclusion. But the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of this match, I think, are going to be really, really informative. 
and the crowd is going to be rocking at kickoff. There's zero doubt. How do the Timbers come out and start? They'll probably try and come out flying, right? Like they're going to not really be able to hold those emotions in check. I'm sure they'll come out really hard and fast. Can NYCFC sustain, right? Can they put their foot on the ball and kind of dictate tempo early? Um, I think that will be really informative. And I think how the crowd goes, right, or, or how the game goes will inform us how the crowd is going to go. Um, and momentum can build really, really fast in that stadium in particular. And the Timbers can ride that, and they have ridden that, especially down the stretch here this year. So, again, the beginning of the game is going to be important. Shocker, right? But, like, this game is sort of weird to analyze in these ways. Um, I will say one thing that I'm, I'm really looking at to just dive in a little bit further. Tavon Gray is going to start for NYCFC at right back. He's 19, I believe, homegrown, pretty inexperienced. Anton Tinnerholm might be their best player. Um, besides Max Morales, he tore his Achilles late in the season. He's here. He's walking around. He was at training today, but obviously will not be playing. Um, the Timbers, they have an, a winger by the name of Sebastian Blanco, who likes to line up on the left a lot of times. His health is a little bit of a question mark. I think he'll start. He was asked yesterday at the at the press conference at Providence Park whether or not he'll he'll be ready to go, and he was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, it's up to the coach, but, like, I want to play, blah, blah, blah. I think he'll play. But Santiago Moreno had an awesome game in the Western Conference Final. Scored, a go- scored the second goal for the Timbers. I thought he was the best player on the field. He was a U22 signing for them. Um, either one of those guys, you know, we, they might be seeing a lot of Tavon Gray. Yemi Chara might be seeing a lot of Tavon Gray. So that matchup in particular um, could dictate a lot about this match. I think that's one to, uh, to keep an eye on. We're going to bring on James P here real quick. So finally with a big team in the final, um, is SUM looking forward to having a bit better viewing figures for when they go turn around to try and sell the TV rights deal in the next year or so, and how this could be a better barometer than previous finals? Why do you think it could be a better barometer than previous finals? Because you finally have New York on the market, so you may be able to actually get a a larger viewing figure that you can go turn around to the broadcasters and say, hey, we're actually improving our viewership okay. yeah. compared to what we've seen. Um, I don't think that tomorrow's game is going to pull a particularly large audience. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Uh, New York City FC and the Red Bulls, for that matter, um, they are non-factors in New York. Uh, it's a very, obviously, crowded sports landscape, crowded entertainment landscape. You may have heard there's a lot of things to do in that city. Um, I think it'll be a big viewership number out here in Oregon. Um, and I think it'll be, I think it'll be a decent number, but probably around a million, I would guess on, on ABC for the English audience. Um, and I don't think even if they got a crazy number, I don't know if the league can really go and use one data point off of, you know, eight, the last eight years or seven years of a TV deal and say, this is what it is. Right. And the broadcasters can just say, well, we have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games. Maybe that's what it is. And for those who don't know, uh, the MLS TV ratings, you know, they're an issue. Uh, They don't draw particularly large audiences. The league did a good number on Thanksgiving for the Colorado Rapids-Portland Timbers game. Um, You know, a lot of people probably leaving the TV on after the Bears and Lions played that uh, suck fest of a game (laughs) that they played. I'm a Bears fan. I'm allowed to say that. Um, But I don't think it'll be a huge number tomorrow, and I don't think it's one that they'll be able to take. Uh, Matt, you have any thoughts on, on that topic? Not hugely, other than to point out that yeah, the, the narrative around the, the Thanksgiving Day uh, ratings, where it, initially there were reported there, there were reports out from some of the networks that it was a much higher number, and there was like the 
jubilant narrative on social media from all the soccer people being like, we did it. We have finally arrived. And then it turned out that like it just steadily fell off a cliff. I was one of those people that tweeted out that 7 million number. So my bad on that. Apologies. But even then, and then they were like, oh, it's like a 1.7. But that means you just bled so much audience after like an objectively terrible football game. And I was like, this probably isn't what they were hoping it was. I might disagree with that. Two million is still a good number for MLS. No, 100%. Right. I just mean like the overall, like the grand narrative of this being like a huge breakthrough put into the full context. So it was like, ah, I don't James, to, to move your question and give it a little bit more of a satisfying answer, I think what we'll see, and this, you know, I could be very wrong about this, but Commissioner Don Garber talked about this at his state of lead, the league press conference earlier in the week. And, you know, they're talking to TV folks right now. Every single game is going to be a part of the package. There are going to be MLS Next Pro games that are a part of the package. There are going to be MLS Next Academy games that are somehow part of the package. Those will probably be, just be streamed. But I think what we could be looking at is around a tripling of the annual rights, which right now are 90 million from the American broadcasters and 15 from the Canadian. So, you know, maybe like 270-ish million or thereabouts, maybe 300. Um, and that looks good on paper and sounds good. Wow, you're tripling the rights. Um, just keep in mind, when MLS signed the last deal, there were 18 teams in the league. So 90 million a year from American broadcasters or 105 million. You're talking about roughly what, 6 million per team? For 105 million, and if you're doing 300 for 30 teams, you're talking about 10 million per team. Uh, MLS salaries have, have inflated massively in that period, so it's not going to be a, a huge game changer. I'm curious to see how long of a deal they do. If they want to, if they don't think they're going to get a huge increase, maybe they try and end it after the 2026 season, and they can really capitalize right off the back of the World Cup. But then there are CBA implications to that too. So we're going to get some other people on stage here, James. Thank you, though, for your question and for hopping on. Appreciate it. Um, let's go to Christopher B. Christopher B., what you got for it? Hi. Um, I wanted to ask which players on either on either side do you think are going to have the biggest impact on the game? Who should we be watching? And who do you think has a chance to emerge as sort of the MVP of their team? Um, I'll start. I, I mentioned a few of the guys already. I think Blanco is obviously really key for the Timbers. Um, he drives a lot of what they do. Can he start? We'll see. Uh, Diego Chara is going to have a huge role to play as well, going up against Maxi Morales, one of the better tens in MLS. So those are two of the guys that I would look for from Portland, in addition to Santi Moreno, um, although he might not start. So we'll see. I think I would start him maybe regardless. I think if Blanco can start, I think I would still start <laughs> Santiago Moreno. Um, but I don't know if, uh, I don't know if Gio Savarese is going to turn his back on Dairon Espria like that. Um, so those are some guys that I would look for from the Timbers. From NYCFC's side, I think the candidates are pretty obvious, right? Tati Castellanos is the Golden Boot winner. Um, he's scored goals for them all season. Uh, he's their main man up front. Uh, if they're going to win this game, he's probably going to have something to say about it. Uh, Maxi Morales, another. Um, and then for them, further back in midfield, I don't know if I see any real MVP candidates there. But their center back pairing is one of the better in the league with Alex Kayans and Maxime Chouneau. So I would look for those two as well. They'll, they'll, have, they'll be called upon quite a bit. Um, and I have just listed half the teams. Do you have anything to add there? 
Um, just that uh, I, I think that the goalkeepers, another kind of obvious thing to point out, but just like in the tension of a final, I mean, on the timber side, Steve Clark knows kind of more than most um, just kind of how, how much of a hero, but also how much of a goat you can theoretically be in a game with these high of stakes, having kind of made that big mistake back in 2015 that he's kind of had to live with. Um, so I think that him and Sean Johnson both – are going to have, I think that both of them will play a, a big role, especially in a game that might end up being pretty tight for a while. Um, I think that the benches could certainly come into play too. Um, I think that these teams are so evenly matched that extra time feels like a real consideration. Um, and I, I think the Timbers seem to have a little bit more depth in terms of attacking options off the bench, which could be, I, I think, some kind of impact. I know Yaro Niazgoda, I referenced him earlier. Um, I think that he could be a little bit of a game breaker coming in late. Um, he came in in the Western Conference Championship game and didn't score, um, but made a couple big plays. So I think that I- I'm kind of looking to the goalkeepers and to the bench to maybe find some of those X factors in case. It- All right, there we go. Thank you for the question, Christopher B. We're going to bring another Chris on stage. Chris L. You should be able to talk to us. Yeah, there, hey, you uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, Sam, Matt, thanks for doing this. This is awesome, and I thank the Athletic for it as well. Thank um, you. Uh, a couple questions. I find the, the television uh, package deal fascinating because I think, you know, this contract really starts to, to put MLS in a whole different light now, or we hope it will. If you were a betting man, guys, what network would you say is the one that emerges uh, with the contract, number one? And number two, do you think, uh, you know, with Garber uh, and whoever is negotiating these deals, that they're looking for this network to really treat this property uh, much better than I think the ESPNs have? Um, well, I don't think it's going to be one network. I think it's going to be a combination. I think Univision will stay in the mix on the Spanish language side. I think on the English, I'm curious to see what Fox does. There's been some rumors out there. I haven't like verified any of them. Um, so I don't know if there, if there's any truth, but there's been some rumors out there that they're not interested in the next round. Um, so if that's the case, then, you know, in terms of linear options, TV options. You're looking at Disney. You're looking at ESPN, ABC, ESPN2. I think the league would like to stay with ESPN um, in some form or fashion. You know, this is a, they want the exposure, right, that you get by being on cable, right, or by being on network television like they're going to be tomorrow on ABC. And I think that's important, even in a, a country where more and more people are cord cutting and especially in a demographic. MLS fans that I think are probably pretty high in that regard. I think they still want to be on TV for the channel surfers and all those folks. So I think you'll see that, but then I think you'll see a significant kind of streaming option. And I think everything's on the table right now. Maybe you see something like Amazon get in the game, right? And maybe it's a situation where there's ESPN and Fox maintain their current model and they each get kind of like a national game of the week. And then there's like two Amazon national games where they really blow out the production and treat them like a national TV broadcast. And then maybe the rest of them are on Amazon Prime or on ESPN Plus. And it's kind of treated more like local broadcasts for the rest of those matches. I think everything's on the table. I think Paramount Plus and CBF Sports will be in the mix for this. They're buying up the rights for basically every soccer league in the world right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I think they'll be involved in some way, shape, or form. But I do think everything is on the table right now. I'm curious to see what MLS does with the production. Because I don't think we're going to have home-and-home broadcasts or home-and-away broadcasts anymore. Um, I think there's a real chance that it's one broadcast team per match, kind of like what we see with the NFL. Um, And how will that work? Will they call those games in market, in person? Will they have some studio in Florida or New Jersey 
that they run everything out of will be kind of a hybrid of both. Um, we'll see. I, I do believe genuinely that everything is on the table right now. Though. Matt, any of that jump out of you? Yeah, I mean, I just think the uh, – well, I, I understand the, the desire and the wish for this to be kind of a paradigm-changing moment um, where the league kind of flips and they get treated a little bit more seriously and, and a broadcaster comes in and maybe treats them – like a bigger property, but at the same time, I mean, the numbers still just aren't totally justifying that. I mean, you can maybe say it's a chicken and an egg type situation where if they gave it a little bit more prominent play and treated it like maybe a bigger deal than uh, they currently do, that maybe that would kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I don't know. I just don't think that it's standing within just the American sports hierarchy has changed quite that much to maybe justify a huge change and how any given broad broadcaster treats them at this point. I mean, I will say that I have ESPN Plus. I think that the access right now is, is super good in terms of like just trying to tune in on any given week and be able to just kind of dip in and out of matches. I think that games are more accessible to wider audiences than ever before. Um, and while that might not necessarily be what you're looking for from like a mainstream aspect, I think that it's been a really nice option to have if you're trying to um, one thing I would add to this is the, is the time frame, and I mentioned it a little bit already, but if you don't think it's going to be a paradigm-shifting deal, and I don't think it is going to be, then do you, I think you want to end it right after the 2026 World Cup, but there's CBA implications there. The CBA ends after the 2027 season. So if you have a new TV deal ahead of the 2027 season, and, this, and that is the big paradigm-shifter, right? Then the union has that to negotiate off of in the new CBA. And I think that's something – I don't know how the league will handle that, um, I would imagine they'll do the TV deal and prioritize that. Um, but it's something that I think they'll think about. Um, Chris, what, what else? You got? Well, I just got one more. You unmuted yourself. No, yeah, I, just yeah, wanted yeah. To, I just wanted to build on it and, and, and kind of go with Matt said as well. You know, we clearly American soccer fans, if you're just an, an MLS fan or a national team fan, you have that inferiority complex or Euro snobs or whatever you want to say. But when you look at the production of, you know, the Premier League on NBC Sports on Saturday morning and you compare that to an MLS broadcast or an MLS ESPN broadcast, you see why it, it, there's jokes about MLS. You know, I mean, it's just taken much more serious as a property by NBC. I agree with that. And I think when NBC broadcasted MLS before this current deal, they treated it in much the same way that they treat the Premier League. Um, Matt, I don't know if you remember those years when it was on NBC Sports, but I thought they did an awesome job with those broadcasts. I don't know, Chris, if you remember those years. Oh, it was brilliant. No, it was, it I was they were great. Excellent. Yeah. And, and, you know, and to Matt's point, what he said earlier, right, they put all that in. What did they get out of it? The ratings were the same no matter what you do. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the broadcasters have realized. And I don't know if accepted is the right word, but that's the reality that they face. So from their point of view, why should they pour all these extra resources into it? If, if they have done those things in the past and it doesn't change anything. So oh, hey, thanks again. Thanks again for doing this, guys, and have a good time tomorrow. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for the question. That was an interesting one. Um, Matt, Felipe Cardenas, our buddy, he was trying to get in, but he said we, we wouldn't let him on stage. Um, that was bogus. I was just prioritizing our paid subscribers ahead of Felipe, who gets this app for free. Um, he did have a question that he sent to me on Slack, though, that I think is an interesting one, and it's about Giovanni Savarese. This is his, what, fourth year in charge of the Timbers? His second MLS Cup appearance. First one was in his first year in 2018 in Atlanta. They obviously lost that game. Um, no one really expected them to, to win. No one really expected them to even be there. 
in that match, right? It was just kind of nice that they were there in the first place. Felipe's question is, like, kind of overall thoughts on Gio as a coach and what happens to him if they lose this game? What do you think kind of the – What do you, does his seat get hot? Is there pressure? What do you think of that? I mean, I don't know what Felipe's trying to do here. But. Yeah, uh, I don't. I think that having get, gotten them to this point, um, I I think that he's fairly secure no matter what happens. Um, I think that he's pretty well liked in the organization. Um, I think that it's kind of a, a catch-all term, I guess, at this point. But I I think that he is kind of a definition of the players' coach who, to a certain extent, just kind of stays out of the way to an extent. Like he has, he's had a really he inherited a really strong locker room with a lot of strong veteran leaders. Um, and I think that he's kind of, while he's made some tweaks along the way, I think he's mostly just kind of maintained good relationships and kind of empowered those leaders and let them kind of carry the team as far as it's gone. Um, and they have had a lot of success. I mean, and I also think it's worth noting that he's had really odd circumstances in almost every year that he's been in charge. Um, in 2018 and 2019, the Timbers were renovating their home stadium and they spent long stretches away from home. Um, and they just had these very weird kind of emotional swings. One of the years they played like 13 games away to start the year. I referenced this earlier in the week, but um, the last time that I was down in the certain part of the stadium, it was ahead of the 2020 season. It was like last February. And the big, big theme from Gio was like, I'm ready to have a normal season where it's just kind of a normal, nothing really happens, just kind of going to ride it out. And the pandemic happens. And so I think, Given all of that, um, given that Portland won the MLS's back tournament last year, no matter how much weight you want to put in that, I mean, it definitely it speaks a lot. I think we can all agree that they were the real MLS champions in 2020, right? I think we can all agree. It, like, all jokes aside, though, like, it, it says something about the character of the group that I think that you've seen, and I think that he's helped cultivate. Um, and then just kind of last point is that, I think his job is going to change fairly drastically sometime in the next couple of years. They have an, that aging core that's been really strong leaders for him this whole way through. They're kind of starting to age out between Valeria. I know Steve Clark is a free agent after this year. It seems like Chara is going to be able to play forever, but at some point that's probably going to change. Blanco is coming off a knee injury. And so I think the Timbers are going to have to kind of rework their core and try to hit on a new team, a new identity. And I think that's when – his coaching chops one way or the other might come a little bit more either into the. I think that's a very fair characterization. Um, I would add to this, and this is something that we also talked about allocation disorder, but I look at the Timbers roster. I'm like, this is a team that can play and they don't play. Like they don't try to play and hold the ball and they're not good at those things. And I always wonder why Uh, to me that comes back to coaching uh, you can't really knock it because it's been successful. And at the end of the day, it's way more important to win games than, you know, to, to look good, you know. So ideally you can do both. But um, that is one thing I would add to it. And I agree. This Timbers team, the core is going to have to change relatively soon. And that's when he'll be really tested. Um, Matt, it looks like we don't have anyone else on stage. We've been going for almost 45 minutes here. Time flies. Uh, before we leave, I think we need to make picks. And we did this on allocation disorder already. This we're a whole like eighteen hours past that recording. Um, I'm cu- have you have you changed your pick? Or are you, you sticking with what you did? I think I'm feeling even more confident and strongly about it than I. Well, let the people know, man. Yeah, so I'm going Tim- Timbers two, NYCFC one. I think Nia's Gota gets the winner in extra time to get even. More- 
I, I, so you think we're going to extra time? I do. I do. All right. Uh, I like I the pick. I think 2-1 as well. I think the other team is going to win. I think New York City FC, the team playing 3,000 miles away from their new baseball stadium, will go across the country and win at the old baseball stadium that the Portland Timbers play in. I think Tati Castellanos, I think he gets the winner. Um, but I think Maxi Morales is the man of the match. And I think NYCFC, uh, this weird, bizarre organization that, I don't know, it's hard to put a finger on their whole deal. <laughs> um, I think they'll win MLS Cup. And Cap really had an excellent run of five years of on-field play. Um, so, yeah. And literally come into Portland and rain on Yes, indeed. Um, well, thank you guys so much. Thanks for those of you who hopped on stage with us. Thanks for those of you who have been listening for 45 minutes. I'm impressed by your endurance. Uh, you deserve a halftime break. Go hydrate. Um, get ready for MLS Cup 2021. Portland Timbers against New York City FC tomorrow afternoon. We'll have full coverage for you guys on The Athletic. Before, during, and after the match, Matt and I both have written quite a few stories about this game and about the league. So go check those out if you haven't already. Thanks, as always, for subscribing, and thanks for listening. MLS Cup kicks off at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. For post-game MLS Cup coverage, make sure to check out the Total Soccer Show. They'll have an in-depth post-game reaction and breakdown that is going to probably teach you a lot about the game that you just watched. And obviously stay tuned to The Athletic for all of our post-game stories from Sam and Matt and everybody else on staff. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening and happy soccer to you all.